Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Insights with Experts. Joining us here today, we are very fortunate to have Miss O. Tet Monkel. Now, O is one of the Forbes Next 1000 honorees and is the CEO and co-founder of Ozo, a 3D fashion tech startup that was recently awarded Top Fashion Tech 2021 by Retail Tech Insights, covered in the latest Vogue Startup Spotlight and one of the top 200 the Tommy Hilfiger Fashion Frontier Sustainability Challenge 2021. Now, O and her team have spent 24 woman years developing the patented 3D photorealistic called 3D Real technology to create true-to-life digital assets from real garments. O is a seasoned veteran with 30 years of experience as a computer graphics architect and principal engineer at top companies in the Valley. She has a master's degree from Stanford University and is the holder of seven patents where she is the principal inventor. She is the O in Ozone. <laughs> uh, o, I, thank you so much for joining us and everything like that. That was quite um, a mouthful. I mean, you've done a lot in your life and it's really, really nice to see. Just to start off with, how, how are you? How are things? Oh, thank you. Yeah, um, I guess things are going, you know, uh, reasonably well. Um, I would have to say that, you know, uh, what we do have so many... Um, um, more, uh, you know, the, the term that we do, we start off with, you know, um, you know, online fashion or, you know, VR, AR. Now it is called digital fashion. So there's a lot of excitement about digital fashion, especially with NFT. So um, we have, you know, with all our awards and, and, and uh, recent traction, we have uh, quite a number of good interests. And it's nice to see that our hard work uh, is paying off, you know. Sometimes you question why would hard work pay, pay off, right? So um, that's one of the things that we are seeing, you know, at the end of the tunnel, I would say, right? Awesome. And yeah, that's absolutely great to see all, all these things you've done. And, you know, as, as I read out that entire bio about you, you know, I'm, I'm really listing all the achievements. However, I think what would be quite interesting to see is, I guess, how that all started, you know, because everyone had, has to start from somewhere. And I think it'd be quite in interesting to hear about your journey. Uh, I guess what inspired you to go into fashion, to go into um, photorealistic graphics Realistic. and so mm -hmm. on? Well, um, first of all, thank you for all the uh, kind words, you know, and then I'm happy to be here. I want to clarify that I'm here to give the insights. You guys are the experts. <laughs> your expert interviewer right <laughs> so you're gonna you know trying to drag out all the wisdom that i have um well you know i'm, I'm you know i spent as you you know uh, 30 plus year as um engineers and especially in 3d computer graphics i would have to say you know um i know how to work with men who have their quirks you know <laughs> than than working with normal people Right. One, one time my daughter said, mommy, did you know that all your friends are really weird? Uh, <laughs> but, you know, that's part of, you know, being um, part of the, you know, technical group. You know, sometimes we have our own quirks and we sort of try to learn how to work together. Um, I've, um, I'm one of very few women who um, are still in technology and still doing technical work. Most of us have, you know, um, the, the friends that I started with 
with a very few women friends have gone on to, you know, um, more of administrative role, like managerial role or, you know, program management, you know, so instead of remaining in a technical work. But um, I found that, um, you know, that that is my route. You know, I, I try various things, but uh, this is what I'm passionate about. And the, this whole thing is get started because my daughter went to college. And she, this is in 2014. And uh, believe it or not, at that time, Amazon haven't, you know, start selling any clothes. And people are just beginning to sell stuff online, right? It, it, it's, it's, it's the early onset. So my daughter, who was in Boston, and I'm in San Francisco, she said, that um you know hey you know she's still copying me copy links and send it to me said this is the dress i want you know i'm going to a date or a party you know that kind of stuff and i'm like why are you sending me these right we used to shop together as you know when she was living before college but now you know um she still wants to shop with me so i thought wow you know she really we have a really close relationship that's why she wants to continue that um that activity but it turns out that, you know, she had a closer relationship to my credit card. She always wanted to use the credit card to pay for that. And I realized that, you know, there was a problem in online shopping, especially for clothes, because she was a student and her credit limit for the student credit card was, you know, like, you know, smaller. So she could only buy one or two dresses, right? But since, as you know, you know, online shopping is about buying 10 things and maybe keeping one. So you have to have enough of a credit limit for you to buy all these things, right? And, and, and to try them on at home. So I realized that what's the problem. So I wanted to, you know, create an experience where we shop together and an experience that, you know, mother, the daughter, mother and daughter have. And it's a unique thing that, you know, uh, women do. And my earlier experience in also, or my earliest memory of my mother are also about going to buy food, going to the market. So that was really, I want to create that closeness and intimate experience because we, we, we no longer live in the same places, you know, especially, you know, all with all the uh, jobs and traveling, right? All the family members are spread out. So um, I felt that if you could, you know, get online and shoot people together like Call of Duty, you can shop together online and have the same experience like you were you know together so that was our goal is to create that you know um social shopping as if you were there together oh that's awesome and you know it's it's obviously something you know you've, you've looked at what's an experience i can empathize with um and you know how can i really adv advocate that and i really really like that the fact that this is an idea that came from you and your personal relationship with your family thank you um one thing I wanted to touch on, so as I was reading your bio and so on, um, I realized here this one line, o, o and her team spent 24 woman years developing the patented 3D photorealistic so on. Now, what was the rationale behind it being 24 woman years as opposed to just 24 years? And I think this might be quite interesting. Well, it was just so, um, it, it was just a, uh, what do you call it? A play on word, right? Because people always said 24 man year, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, um, what we did was that together, you know, um, my co-founder, um, even um, one of my, co um, my two co-founders are men, but they do have daughters. So, you know, I can see that 
as an experience that they want to do something different and they wanted to create um, an experience that that you know unique uh, to um, what what we wanted to do. So I mean, it also meant that I I actually worked on this technology myself. It's not like I tell people to do this. You know, in general, when when they talk about women in tech, they meant women who manage tech company. You know, they themselves have mostly business degree or come from marketing, right? They're not ever actually doing tech. But my goal was to, I guess, demonstrate or uh, to get to give an example of this is how a woman invent, right? I mean, I, I, I'm you know you know it is it, a very interesting thing about you know, and I want to touch on a little bit of invention and creativity. But you know, what is creativity? Creativity is um, how you solve a problem based on your experience, right? So. Um, as a woman and as a unique background that I have, and you know, I'm underrepresented minority, all of that label that you can put in front of me, is that I bring the experience of how I survive and how I succeed, right? And I pour that creativity into solving a problem. So hence that, you know, we come from a different point of view, right? And as co my co-founder and I, right, this is, this is our legacy. Right. How we see that you see our um, our work, and you would have to say, "Wow, how'd you do it?" Right. So this is basically, I said, you know, um, I want to solve a problem where, you know, I feel, you know, like this was worth solving, because you know, but that's that was the rational behind the the woman's year that I actually, you know, worked on the problem. Yeah, absolutely, and I think it's really really important that you actually said specifically that those were 24 were women years um, and when I read that the first thing that I thought about was the first conversation that we had where you, you talked about your early years in, in in the workforce and so on and specifically how you were treated uniquely because you're an underrepresented ethnic minority because you were a woman and so on um, and with that I wanted to ask because one of the things that you talked about were the attitudes and perspectives that you encountered along the way you know, the way people perceived you and so on. And often they had this preconceived idea and they would un underestimate you. And I wanted to ask, how did you go above and beyond these expectations and essentially prove these people wrong? I've, um, you know, I, 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 I wouldn't say that, you know, I, I when uh, some of my intern asked, you know, if you were to summarize your life, I mean, what would you say? I said, my life is a series of proof. I mean, what do you mean? Like, it's, it's like similar to mathematical proof because people have told me that, no, you couldn't do that. No, you're not going to be able to do this. Right. So I've, I've so many times, um, you know, have proven people wrong, but it's not the desire to, you know, I didn't start off trying to prove them wrong. Right. But I knew that fundamentally I need to guard my own, and, and, and as a woman and, you know, as a young, young, young college graduate, like uh, the you know, some of the audience who's listening in is that, you know, what is the most important that you, um, of yourself, what is the most important, right? And, and, and that, what is the most important thing in, in anyone is our self-confidence, our sense of self, right? And if you lose that, then you're beginning to lose in everything that you do, right? So I, I also raised my daughter this way also, like that I, 
you know, we all cultivate and your parents do too, that, that we're trying to, you know, make you a young man or a young woman who's confident that they can tackle the world because, you know, the world is unfair. The world is kind of cruel, right? It, unforgiving, I would say. Right. So that's what I did where, you know, when they said, well, you know, you couldn't do this. And this is my first advice is that um, for me to continue on to a path and be uh, as, you know, keep a sense of self and keep a sense of confidence, have some self-esteem is to, you know, first, my first mantra was you cannot quit until you're ahead. Right. Some, and then the key, the key part of that is, you have to define what's ahead me, right? You have to walk away from a situation that, that you felt that you, 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 uh, you, won, you won, right? Like you took something with you, even, even if you fail, right? But you have to learn something. You have to look at a point of view and what did I learn? Um, I had, before this company, I started a game store, a, ga a video game store. And I lost, I have to say, you know, I wear that badge proudly um, $300,000 of cash, you know, just, you know, from what I earned, because, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. And I, you know, didn't know how to run a small business. You know, I, I tried to, the reason I got into it, because I thought, well, you know, maybe I want to do something different. It's my sense of entrepreneurship. But what I've learned, and I, you know, and did, did I feel sad that I lost $300,000? Um, Yes, <laughs> but I would have to say that, but what I've learned is I learn about money. I learn about how to negotiate debt. I learn about what um, real estate lease is about. What is a small business person? You know, what are they struggling with? And, and um, how to balance between, you know, what customers want and what, how to bring value. So, you know, all of that, right? I mean, it's an expensive lesson, but you know, sometimes you can't learn that any other way. You're going to have to, you know, fail <laughs> to learn how to do that, right? I, at one time, um, owe half a million dollars in lease. And I was able to negotiate down to $50,000. How do I do that? Well, I have to have a different attitude about money, about guilt with money, about, you know, what it is that we, you know, about negotiate. It's almost like playing poker. You know, so, so that was what I meant is that when you decided, well, you know, this is where I am and this is how I'm going to define, you know, how I'm, you know, going to be ahead. And that's when you're allowed to quit. Mm -hmm. So um, just to go to my early days, I um, came from a very small town. You know, I um, grew up in, um, I would say, quote unquote, um, really poor part of Thailand. I, my mother left when I was eight. And she left to the, come to the U.S., as normal immigrant story goes. And she got remarried. I came to the U.S. at 15 because my father, you know, sent a letter to my mother and said, you know, um, oh, is not going to college because she took, you know, an entrance exam to the, uh, the college track and she didn't get it. Right. You know, that's not, you know, it's a it's small. Um, <clears throat> I was from a small rural area. Um, so my mother, you know, um, did some paperwork and I came to the U S with, uh, and with my brother and we didn't speak any English and we learned English from MTV. 
1984, MTV just started. <laughs> we watch MTV. <laughs> I know who you two Iron Maiden is, you know. <laughs> but, um, but from then, you know, um, I had to work in my mother's restaurant. Uh, my, my aunt and my mother had a small restaurant. And at that time, nobody knew what Thai food were. You know, they, they thought we had to say Thai Chinese food and we have to learn how to cook Chinese food. And I, you know, learned from there. But I was fortunate enough that um, a, a nun in, in, in a high school that I was going, you know, I was attending, um, she looked at me, she go, oh, you know, I you need, really need the help. I see that you work hard and I can see myself in you. He said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to teach you math. She said, I'm going to teach you calculus. I think that you can do it, even though, you know, you, you haven't done that before. But I will trade you. You grade you, you paperwork for me. You grade homework, basically. She said, I need help grading homework at, after school. And I, you will sit here and I will teach you math. Well, we do math problems together. She didn't really teach me. You know, she's like, here's a book and let's do math problems together. So I did a lot of practice for three years. So I've learned that, um, you know, hard work, especially in mathematics, does pay off. It's different from in, it's different in liberal arts, right? Because everybody has different opinion. You you can spend a lot of um, you know um, time rewriting your story or rewriting the essay, and then you know some professor said, "Oh, that's great." Another professor said, "That really, I don't I don't like it. I don't like the way you wrote it, right?" But in math, there's always one answer. So I've learned that from a, as a young person, I learned from I knew that math was gonna give me confidence. So I've kept mathematics kind of in my pocket. So when I was, um, you know, struggling through my job, my first job, there's a lot of discrimination and a lot of prejudice there. I, um, you know, go back to take classes in math because I knew that if I study hard, I would do well. And that's all my second advice. When you feel that you're really under the water, really feel discouraged, find an activity that would feed your ego that would that you knew that you would do well that that it has a correlation of your effort like for example you might like to play soccer right you know you go there and you you play with your friends and you score a few goals you feel better so make sure that you kind of you know save that and and do that activity to kind of feed your soul you know so that you can keep going until you win um and, and, you know, like I told that to my intern when they work with me, I said, you know, I, you know, I'm encouraging you, I'm not judging you, and I want you to do well. So, you know, all of these compliments I gave you, put that in your pocket, you know, keep it close, because there will be time that you have to take this compliment that I gave you and, you know, re reread it, because there are somebody who believes in you. So yeah, that that's my um, second advice. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. That's really really cool. Um, and you know, you've in this whole journey of yours, you talked about all all the experiences you had. For example, in that shop, in that video gaming shop, you know, it was an experience. Mm -hmm. Although you did, you know, lose a fair bit, you still learn a lot at the end of the day. And I think every experience you did, you probably took something from. Um, mm -hmm. And I specifically wanted to talk about. I guess the relationships that you had in certain firms, you know, as someone that's had a, you know, who's worked in a smaller firm and potentially had a relatively larger role or as someone mm -hmm. who's worked 
in a relatively large role, but at a relatively smaller, you know, in a sorry, in a large larger firm with a relatively small smaller role. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are there are these two contradicting things: large firm, small firm. Mm-hmm. You know, which one in working in either of those two did you find you were able to learn more from, and which one would you ad- advocate to, I guess, a younger student? Um, I, I would say that it depends on who you are, right? Um, if you are a person who, you know, kind of a little bit shy and, you know, kind of could use some hand-holding, I would say that a bigger firm, a more structured firm is probably better at the beginning because then you get some mentor, you get some structure, right? You know, because the, the HR department kind of, you know, have, uh, uh, training and things like that that you can go through, right? More structure and and kind of get you, you know, so so you feel more comfortable and be able to, um, be able to kind of you know develop yourself, right? Develop your sense of you know what you want to do. But however, you know, after a few, after three or four years, the advancement is kind of blocked, right? Once you you start off from a young professional and now you become a senior they call senior professional that's when you would feel like well maybe there's not a lot of room to move up right so um you have to kind of figure out your way of you know how you're gonna move up right that that, that, that's the advantage of big firm but if you were to go to a small firm it's a sink or swim situation if you like the sink or swim like my husband he said i work best under pressure <laughs> then, then you know that's a small firm, which means um, you know you got in, you gotta figure out from chaos, right? How you're gonna do that, and then it takes the skill set and it takes the um, the ingenuity and the creativity, but you have to be ready for that, right? And you can you know I mean so so that, that's depend on who you are, right? I mean I um, I I'm glad that I spend you know. I spent seven years, which is really long time at Hewlett Packard, but uh, because I had to win, you know, I, I mean, at, you know, when I, my first boss, you know, tell me that, um, you know, oh, I hire you because I can check two boxes. I'm like, what two boxes are those? He go, minority and engineer. I mean, minority and, and women. I'm like, wow. You know, he goes, you know, normally, you know, you have to hire two people. He said, I did really well. I hire one. To fulfill the requirement. This is this is 30 years ago, you know. People don't say that anymore. Um, and I was really shocked, right? But however, you know, HP has structures and training about, you know, um, trying to get you through. So I learned a lot from that training about, you know, minority, who you are, how to communicate, how to show up to work on time, you know, all of that. That, that I learned the sense of professionalism. Basically, you know, it, it's the same for everyone, which mean, you know, um, don't leave work until your boss left work, you know, um, how to promote yourself, you know, all of these were, because I, I didn't grow up with that, you know, with that, um, what do you call it, with that skill set. So it has to be taught to me about how to sell yourself, how to promote yourself. Um, for example, you know, you only get promoted for the work you already did, you know, you know, your boss is not going to say, well, I can see you become a chief architect in, um, in a 3D graphics, you know, uh, algorithm. You, you, you pretty much, you know, 
kind of more like you I already did most of this work now you promoted me so I understand that sense of um of, of, of professionalism that's what I learned from that place right but um I felt stifled so when I've um I felt that in a startup environment when I switched to a startup because I wanted to to you know, to to have more experience and be more um, challenged. I felt that the work is more engaging and I, I really use a lot of my brain power and, and also my other skill set aside from just this narrow field of, you know, what you're supposed to do. In a um, big company, right, you are rewarded for being an expert in a very niche area. Right, an expert in this one particular thing, right? Um, but in a small company, you are rewarded for being jack of all trade, right? So if you stay too long in a big company, you will have a difficult time adapting for a small company. But if you stay too long in a small company, it's hard for you to get a high position in a big company because they want you to be an expert in a particular area. So it's kind of conflicting between the two, the two uh, places. But, um, but you know, after um, probably five to seven years, well, the young people these days, they change for every seven years or so. <laughs> then you have to find, you know, um, and I wanted to say that there's no such thing now as, you know, you have a job for life. You've got to build your own tribe, meaning that you make sure you have friends. You make friends at work. Make your network so you know, you know, where they're going next. Like you can call them up and say, hey, is there an opening there? Don't, you know, spend basically build your own job security by building your own network. Oh, that's awesome. Um, and, you know, in, 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 in your answer, in your journey, you talk a lot about you, you know, you really working hard whether it was in a small firm, whether it was in a large firm, you talk about the fact that you would always work hard. Um, and I wanted to really touch, touch on that because there's been a lot going around lately on the contradictions between should we work hard or, sh or should we work smart? And everything <laughs> like that. So I wanted to kind of get your opinion. Do you think there's this binary trade-off between working hard and working smart and we can only do one? Or do you think it's more of a finding the right mix of both and using them in conjunction? With each other um i think that um in my own opinion right um you don't get to work smarter unless you work harder first it's like a it's like a people get promoted they work smarter but you don't get promoted unless you work harder <laughs> you're gonna have to work hard at the beginning right i mean and if you want to be promoted you gotta work harder than anyone and 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 um, my number one, I mean, my number one mantra in life was you got to do the shit job really excellently, really well. You got you to be doing, you know, because that's how you get ahead. Anyone can work at a job that they love and do really well. That's easy, right? But how do you work at a job that you don't really like, but how you get excellent results? Because your boss would then notice you and said, hey, it was a really crappy job, you know, this crappy assignment. Then, you know, then, then everybody does kind of getting by, right? That's the minimum. Then he would notice you and go, wow, all did this really well. Now, you know, that's how you get noticed. 
is how you do your how do you do the work the assignment that nobody wants and that's when they're going to begin to notice you so i would encourage you to you know you got to work harder you I mean if you can beat other people you know i'm not saying that and then once you work harder you will realize how to work smarter so it was it's it, it's um you know i mean you I mean, how about this? Uh, I give you an example. You don't become a good cook the first time you cook. You go, well, I'm gonna, you know, you become a good cook because you practice a lot. <laughs> no matter what the recipe was, right? You know, you're not gonna get it right the first time. So now you you learn how to, you know, like let's say stir fry or whatever that you're doing or bake cake, right? You're gonna have to practice a lot. And then you realize, oh, this is how you become more efficient. And also that helps when you become a leader because, you know, that's what I use as my, um, that's why I guide when my interns and different people is that I did it before. I actually did the hard work and I kind of figure out on my own, you know, so when you encounter the same problem, I can give you advice. I can say, hey, have you thought about this? Or have you thought about that? Because I was, I've done it before. So um, my first boss, you know, his philosophy was that um, the um, uh, the difference between he, you know, I always asked him, like, why would you say that I'm an average engineer? Why, you know, I'm not above average or an excellent engineer? He said the difference between, you know, an average engineer and uh, an excellent engineer was that an average engineer is somebody who I tell him, who I give him an assignment, tell him what to do, or him or her, and she did it really well. You know, what I tell her, you know, but there's a lot of people who could do that, you know, follow instruction and did it really well. But to become an excellent engineer, you gotta be able to tell me what I forgot to tell you. Like, here's an assignment, go from A to B, but you gotta be able to tell me, you know, I thought about going A to B, but there's a C path that you're supposed to take or there's an, a potential problem there. Have you thought about that? Because then now you are telling me what I haven't thought of, right? So um, that's a different kind of measurement, you know, about, you know. So in an essence, what he's telling me is that I can give you a job without fully thought about it and you would did it well anyway. You figure out how to do it. And you would tell me what the problem was, you know, you, you know, without me, because, you know, he said that if I were, unfortunately, he said, um, if, if I were to specify the job into the detail such that you follow instruction and you would do and you would have no mistake, then I would have to do all the thinking for you. Right. And then I he said, then I can go over to, you know, any third world country and hire somebody to do it with one third less salary. That, that's what he said <laughs> but anyway you know it's it, i get the point um yeah we, we um i think it was probably like the 20 something interview that we had um and it was with this man called chris anthony and he essentially has done lots of men mentoring in his life in large firms and small firms and you know, university talks and so on and he has this one rule anytime he has a mentee uh he would give them 25 percent of the information and he would want them to find the remaining 75%. Mm. So essentially he's trying to evoke the mentee 
to kind of really mm. show what they have to kind of really think because at the end of the day in life are you always going to have someone who's going to give give you all the answers i mean mm-hmm. it's you know you you're, you're going to reach a point where you're going to be in a leadership position and what happens when you know you're the you're the leader who are you going to then be finding your answers from well you know Right, right. I, I, I think that's very good because, you know, logical thinking is really tough. I, um, one advice I would give as a mentor and mentee relationship. I, I used to be a ment- uh, mentee myself, right? And I, have, I found my own mentor who would help me. But number one rule of thumb, I would say that is that when your mentor tells you to do something, you don't question it. I, I noticed young people lately have been saying, why? I said, you go do it first. Come back with the result and then ask why. You know, because you ask why first, why? Because you didn't want to do it, right? Then the mentor said, well, I'm wasting time telling you, right? Because they would likely to explain things when you're actually willing to go do it like blind faith. But, you know, they're just trying to help you so that they, you can go think for yourself, right? And I used to pester my mentor. I said, why did you tell me to do this? What is the thinking process from A to B? Why didn't you tell me to do C, right? I would ask him, how do you think about that? Why did you come to this conclusion, right? And that's what I learned from him. I learned how he thinks. But his rule was, if I tell you to go do something, you better go do it first and tell me what the result is. You don't sit there and go, you got to justify to me why I should be doing that. I don't get why that was the case. Right, he said it's easier when you try it. You come back and you go, "This is what I did. I don't understand why this happened and why that happened." Now he said, "Well, let's analyze." Right? Now you went and do what I did. Right? You trust me enough to go do it. Right? Versus just standing there arguing for an hour instead of doing that. You know that I asked you because you asked for help, and here what I want you to do. So that's that would be my advice. That like you know, go try it first. And then if it didn't work or you couldn't do it because you couldn't figure out something, come back and ask the question. But don't question first before trying it. And very, you know, very rarely will you have a experience or a situation where you don't learn something from. Um, mm-hmm. you know, at the end of the day, there's always something to gain from any kind of experience. So I think that's a really, really nice point. Um, so uh, I wanted to now quickly move on onto, I guess, the more fashion side of the interview in terms of what you what mm-hmm. you do you know the current startup ozone essentially you know everything in there and the first thing i wanted to ask well i guess you know with the use of your technology and so on do you see this platform taking over the traditional fashion shows that we currently have now well <clears throat> my view of technology you know um even though others have used it differently but my view of technology is to to be more inclusive. I meant that um, I want technology to basically include people who have been left behind, you know, like, like who wouldn't include before. Like for example, um, I'm sure that, you know, you were too young, but uh, at one time you want to be YouTube superstar, I'm sure. <laughs> because they're making lots of my influencer, right? But it was too late. But then that's why TikTok came along. <laughs> <laughs> then now you can too, you know, can be included in part of that influencer or become famous. Basically, I felt that our technology was democratizing um, virtual fashion, meaning that um, we want to be inclusive to, you know, um, 
small medium sized fashion brand that does that are not traditionally tech savvy right they're not going to pick up uh you know autocad and start drawing things in 3d and you know you know spend two years and figure out how to do it right not to mention the software and the hardware that associate with you know all these higher end technology we can't you know i mean i even though i i believe everybody should learn math but i don't think you know, we can convert everybody to be computer graphics engineer, you know, <laughs> so it, so I felt that there are, you know, the group of women, especially fashion, as I mentioned in our conversation previously, fashion is a very unique industry. Uh, it affects all lives of women and, and especially for a group of women. The first one is the consumer are mostly women for fashion and the small, medium sized brand are, owned by women. The bigger one, like LV, imagine all, all big conglomerate are own, owned by men. You know, they, they're like really big, you know, like, you know, um, yeah, Balenciaga, all, you know, pretty much top fashion designers are, are men, right? Who are making a lot of money, but the one that is scraping by are the medium-sized brand, you know, um, and which is mostly owned by women. Then the third group of women are the, the um, apparel, apparel um, worker. They work in the factory, women and children work in the factory and trying to, you know, um, have a decent, you know, lives and supporting their, you know, uh, supporting their family. And the, f the fourth is Mother Earth, right? Um, as you know, you know, fashion has been a really an offender in terms of, um, you know, environment and sustainability. So um, the way that I've, um, we have approached this problem is to make it so easy that it's just like taking a photograph to create a 3D fashion that you could participate in the next wave of technology, which is AR, VR, and, and digital fashion, right? So if you know how to sew on a clothes together, like, you know, sewing a dress like my grandma, you can click a button and create a 3D dress and now, you know, selling clothes online or selling your, your, your one-of-a-kind customized clothing, you know, for whoever overseas who want to buy and they could try it on, right? Or you can sell a, a piece of digital fashion, you know, into the metaverse or gaming. So I, I view this as, you know, that the world are shifting. So the digital fashion or the, or the virtual world are, are now the, the new battleground where, where the, the new, you know, I guess the new content is the contention where who's going to dominate. And the big brands now, what they are doing is they're pouring a lot of money in, you know, and, and putting a lot of money into technology so that they could put smaller brand out of business, right? But, but I think that uh, that's, that's not inclusive, that, that's exclusive, right? And um, so when, you know, you have that, you know, monopoly or dominated uh, players, that's when the abuse happens, right? You know, because they can <laughs> and they do just to save a few bucks. So I view this as, you know, more sustainable choices. And instead of um, having to ship clothing overseas or virtual to do samples, now we can do it electronically and without having to, you know, have a lot of knowledge about 3D computer graphics and all that, we, we basically make it, you know, easier for everyone who owns small fashion brands and to, to basically uh, increase sales and, and, and lower return rate by having more photorealistic um, clothing that people, you know, would know what they get. And imagine where 
you know, because of the way that we build the technology, you can have other people try it on. And to also, you know, create fashion show that is more accessible, where it's cheaper. You can put a couple of clothing, you know, you don't have to, you know, be a superstar and participate in the, uh, you know, New York Fashion Week. You know, now with the new technology, you can have an international fashion show, you know. Um, and in fact, uh, my friend and I, uh, Jude Kingston, we are working on an international fashion show, a digital version for charity. So it will be um, 10 designer who donate clothes um, for the charity and her charity is called Mind Your Fashion. It's for mental health for, you know, fashion, for people in fashion, uh, in, for fashion industry where they wanted to change and, and basically, you know, spotlight all the uh, issue related to mental health uh, with fashion designers and an industry worker. And she, and, and all the, profits are going to be donated to her fashion uh, to her uh, charity and also we can um, auction off the digital version of that of that dress with nft so people can have a collectible version of the one-of-a-kind dress and hence you know even though you might not be able to afford um, a ten thousand dollar oscar de la renta dress you can pay 25 bucks and, and wear it in a virtual world <laughs> you know so everyone could you know you know I, you're young people. Nobody goes to gala anymore, right? <laughs> More like pajama party. <laughs> so um, that is a, a different way of doing fashion. And, and fashion show, a digital version is much more, um, much more sustainable, mm -hmm. right? And it's more inclusive. Mm -hmm. So I hope that, you know, this will take off and we would see a different, you know, we would see a different, like, you know, um, fashion brand would be able to participate and promote their brand, you know, um, internationally without having to travel or, you know, know people and, you know, being, you know, project runway, you know, <laughs> champion, right? So I think everybody could do it. Yeah. Well, what effect do you think that will have, um, I guess, particularly on the mental health of young people in terms of their self-esteem? as opposed to having these in-person events with these models, you know, now we have this more in inclusive setting where everyone can get involved. You know, what effect do you think that's going to have on the mental health of young people? I think that, you know, I mean, um, the, um, what, do you, what can I say? That, that, you know, being isolated is not that great, right? But fashion event has been, to be honest, fashion show events, have been exclusive. The, you know, fashion industry in general talk about exclusivity, right? They, they, they basically charge higher price for exclusive item. And I think that this would open a whole new world of um, people who haven't been included as, as you know, in, in fashion to kind of experience it, right? You know, it's, it's lower the cost, also open up, you know, what fashion mean. And, and I would like to encourage them to be involved to 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 get transparency because you know like you said sustainability don't go with um and young people are now smarter don't go with what is being uh propagandized you know what's being promoted right determine for yourself what sustainability mean for you right you know what's your cause right i mean and and put money where your mouth is and that's where you guys are good at <laughs> Right, because now it's available. You can see where it's being made. You can push for, you know, um, 
support a designer that you believe in, you know, so it didn't have to, you know, be the one that, you know, that being promoted by, you know, influencer. So it, it's more available. And, and, you know, it, and you can find your own um, group of people to rally around. Th th that's what I think. I think that it's going to be more inclusive that, you know, fashion going to be something different. Not, 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 you know, like how, you know, now fashion is determined by a few, um, uh, what do you call it, um, bellwether, right, of, of, of designer. This is what's going to be on, like, poet shirt is coming back or, <laughs> you know what I mean, <laughs> right? I think that it's going to be different. It's going to be different. So, and I'm looking forward to it, actually. And I, I'm looking forward to, you know, um, of, 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 of a different, you know, young people bring. Because I think it's time for us to have to hear different voices and, and, and to, 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 you know, include, you know, um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so oh, I think it might be time to bring the interview to a close. And I'm specifically going to do it with asking you a final question. I know this is a standard question we ask everyone we interview. Mm -hmm. Essentially what it is is if you could leave young people with just one piece of advice, what would that one piece of advice actually be? Well, this is my last advice, right? I'm going to tell you a story first. <laughs> the, um, my, um, my daughter's friend, right, asked, you know, heard that I got the Forbes next 1,000. And she asked, how do your mom get it? And my daughter's answer was, she applied. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that was the answer, right? So, you know, basically what it means is that you gotta, you gotta try, right? The first step to try, the first step to failure is trying, right? And it, it's okay to fail, but it's not okay for not trying, right? So, you know, I mean, it, everybody fails at one, one point in time, but if you want to, you move for I mean to progress, you gotta try. So and, and there's no shame in it. No shame in it. That's my last piece of advice. Like the first step to fail is trying. Awesome. So once you once you understood that, then you know, you would, you know, not afraid in, in trying it, right? So um when um the um my my intern is the one who actually apply who actually fill out the application for for next one thousand. And I asked my advisor and I said, you know, we need to kind of rewrite it a little bit, you know, and make it prettier or nicer, you know, correct some weird sentences. My advisor said, my advisor told me, he said, fat chance, I don't think you can get it. He said, don't even bother, right? At first, she didn't want to help me. And I said, well, you know, the interns, you know, she put in a lot of work, you know, just editing a couple of sentences, you know, what's the use? Just hit apply. And then, you know, Seven o'clock in the morning, I got the email. I thought it was a joke, <laughs> you know? So I'm like, whoa, what happened? But I realized that, you know, um, you know anything is worth um, the effort. It's worth trying, so. Awesome. And there we have it. Everyone, oh, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much for joining us. Um, I really enjoyed that. And uh, yeah, look forward to hearing from you in the future. Well, thank you. And then I hope that um, there were a few things that, you know, um, the audience can take home and you know, even just one thing to take home about the advice. I think that you're, you're already ahead.
So thank you so much. I really appreciate thank that. You. I really appreciate uh, the opportunity to uh, having um, this talk. Thank you. Okay. Um, in terms of like moving forward, um, what I'll 